The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Monday the 15th of January here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, UK police arrest six people over a plot against the London Stock Exchange. After 100 days of war, Israel shows no signs of backing down in its battle with Hamas as the risks of a wider conflict grow. Plus, looking westward, Taiwanese voters defy warnings from China and elect a US-friendly president. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Six people have been arrested over an alleged plot to disrupt trading at the London Stock Exchange today. Police say the pro-Palestine activists were planning to cause damage to the LSE and prevent the building from opening. Bloomberg's Chris Pitt has the story. The activists from the Palestine Action Group allegedly planned to lock themselves onto the exchange's entrance with the hope of preventing trading today. Monday the 15th of January marks 100 days since the start of the war in Gaza. In a statement, the Metropolitan Police said it's also taking further precautions against the suggestion that the plot against the LSE was one part of a planned week of action. The arrests came as the UK continues to see widespread protests against the war in Gaza since it began in October, with another rally held this weekend in London calling for an immediate ceasefire. In London, Chris Pitt, Bloomberg Radio. The protests in London come as Prime Minister Rishi Sunak faces Parliament for the first time since ordering airstrikes on Houthis in Yemen. The British government says that it is prepared to take further action alongside the US if necessary. Here's the Foreign Secretary, David Cameron. I mean, it's hard to think of a time when there's been so much danger and insecurity and instability in the world. The lights are absolutely flashing red, as it were, on the global dashboard. And what we need at that time is strong leadership and a clear plan. That's what we have with, with the Prime Minister and the team. If you, if you don't act against the Houthis in the Red Sea, you're going to see more attacks. Cameron also noted broad support in Parliament for the move, with the Labour leader Keir Starmer backing it. Houthi rebels have vowed to target US and UK commercial vessels since the Allies launched airstrikes against the group. Taiwanese voters have elected the country's current Vice President Lai Ching-te as their new leader. The result puts a man in power who had been branded, quote, an instigator of war by Beijing. In his acceptance speech, Lai vowed that Taiwan would walk side by side with democracies around the globe. I want to thank the Taiwanese people for writing a new chapter in our democracy. We have shown the world how much we cherish our democracy. This is our unwavering commitment. 
The words of Taiwan's new leader spoken there by a translator. Lai's victory over opposition parties willing to restart dialogue with China is a blow for Beijing's ambitions to have greater influence over the island it considers a breakaway province. The US state of Iowa kicks off the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination today. Caucuses are set to take place this evening. But there are fears that sub-zero temperatures of below minus 30 could dampen turnout. Polling shows that the former president, Donald Trump, has more than a, a 30 percentage point lead over rivals Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. But Haley says it is all still to play for. Make sure that you go and make a difference. Iowa sets the tone for where the country goes when it comes to these elections. There are no foregone conclusions. While Haley and DeSantis are widely considered to be battling for second place, Trump has also tempered expectations in recent days with turnout likely to be suppressed by the bad weather. US, U.S. lawmakers may have found a way to avoid parts of the U.S. government being closed from this weekend. Their solution could risk Republican backlash against the House Speaker, though. Bloomberg's Dan Schwartzman has more. Congress has unveiled the stopgap spending bill to avert a partial government shutdown that would take place on January 20th. The temporary spending bill would fund the agencies that face a January 20th deadline until March 1st, while the bill would fund the agencies that would shut down on February 2nd until March 8th. The Senate will next begin procedural votes on the stopgap bill on Tuesday. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says it will take bipartisan support in both branches of Congress to pass the bill. House Majority Leader Mike Johnson defended the deal, saying it eliminates many of the budget, quote, gimmicks. Dan Schwartzman, Bloomberg Radio. The UK housing market has started the year strong with a jump in asking prices. According to Rightmove, sellers asked for 1.3% more on average for their homes in January. That is the biggest monthly rise since May 2023. The online property portal said that this month marked the best start to a year since 2020 for the housing market, which has so far defied predictions for a drop in prices of 10% or more. Tim Bannister, who is Director of Property Science at Rightmove, said that a surge in buyers looking to pin down mortgages in an unsteady market might be causing the momentum. Now, let's turn our attention uh, to what's been happening in London, get you more details on those arrests over a plot to disrupt the London Stock Exchange. Bloomberg's James Wilcock is here with more. What do we know then about the plot to target the LSE? So broadly, Caroline, we've got three stories here, which is the police say they've arrested six on conspiracy to cause criminal damage. And that is a suspicion of they haven't yet issued criminal charges in that case yet. And they're basically saying that they use sort of lock on tactics were planned. They're similar to sort of just stop oil where protesters glue themselves or attach themselves in some way. And these were supposed to be coming today. These protesters were planning to try and get in before trading started, lock themselves into the LSE and prevent trading from happening. So then we also know from Daily Express reporter Max Parry, he's been an undercover journalist inside this group Palestine Action, and he gave the information to the police that they acted on. And so he has some quotes that he says are from meetings internally, where I'm going to read you one saying, people can trade on their phones nowadays, but there's going to be a lot of computers in there that people aren't going to have access to. They could have hundreds of millions of pounds worth of shares. So that's the thinking of the group. Now, it's worth pointing out 
no physical trading takes place at the LSE. So it is unlikely that trading would have been affected. The LSE haven't commented to us for the sake of the story. But this week of action was broadly designed to try and cause chaos for any British company that is seen to be enabling Israel or the IDF in some way. And the third story we have is from the Palestine Action Group themselves, who on X have issued a statement saying that an undercurrent journalist did infiltrate them, but their action will remain undeterred. Okay, James, this is all happening on a day when we're expecting the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to update Parliament on the UK's participation in airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. What are we expecting to hear from the Prime Minister? Well, this will be the first time he's talked to Parliament since ordering the strike, Stephen. And we aren't expecting too much in the way of political fireworks because the Labour leader Keir Starmer has backed the strikes, which means most parliamentarians, by necessity, will be in support. It will be interesting to see where some of the differences lie. Um, but the other side is, in today in Lancaster House, Grant Shapps, uh, one of the ministers in the government, is going to announce that 20,000 personnel from the British Armed Forces will be sent to multiple European countries as part of the largest NATO deployment since the end of the Cold War. So what will be interesting as well is to kind of see this global picture from the Prime Minister as you mean, you heard from David Cameron in the bulletin just there, talking about this global age of insecurity. All this ahead of the week, we'll see on Tuesday the Rwanda bill with immigration. That's where you'll see the real political fireworks as this global insecurity comes back domestically in the way of sort of immigration. Yeah, absolutely. James, thank you so much for being with us. That is Bloomberg's James Wilcock there bringing us then the latest details over those arrests on Sunday um, about a plot to disrupt the London Stock Exchange uh, in terms of, well, we are now 100 days into the Israel-Hamas war. Yeah, let's get the latest from the Middle East now. The US has shot down a cruise missile fired at one of its ships from a Houthi militant area of Yemen. We have our Middle East economy and government editor Paul Wallace with us for more. Paul, what first of all can you tell us about these latest exchanges of fire in the Red Sea? Hi, Stephen. So this one was successfully intercepted, as uh, um, as most missiles shot by the Houthis have been by either the U.S. or its or its allies since the uptick in attacks since mid-November. But I think what yesterday's incident shows is that the Houthis still retain um, the capability and the willingness to to to, um, to attack vessels in the Red Sea, despite all the strikes we saw on on Friday morning and then again on Saturday. Um, the Houthis promised a retaliation, and they said that they would um, keep attacking uh, commercial ships. And I think what uh, yesterday's effort shows is that they, um, they're able to walk the talk. We do have to see, however, where they still are able to, um, to attack ships with quite, um, you know, on quite the same scale as, as, as we've seen since the start of the year. What has all of this meant for shipping, Paul? The Red Sea is not closed off to ships, and there are still plenty of commercial vessels going through it, but way less than before. So if you're a Western shipping company, if you're talking about an MSC or a Maersk, you're pretty much avoiding the Southern Red Sea entirely, and that means you're avoiding the Suez Canal as well. So for ships going between China and Europe, a lot of them are now instead of going through the Suez Canal, they're going uh, around the the southern tip of Africa, and that's adding days, if not weeks, onto journeys, putting up um, uh, freight costs, uh, and so really adding to the the costs um, of of shipping containers and and all sorts of goods between, between Asia and Europe. 
Paul, you've also been writing about this milestone we've been talking about in the Israel-Hamas war, 100 days on now. Can you put in context for us how significant the change has been across the region since the Hamas attack on the 7th of October? It really has been a it's to say it's been a game changer, not just for for Israel and and the Palestinian territories, but for the Middle East is a bit of an understatement. It really was an historic event, October the seventh, and it became clear very quickly when Israel declared war on Hamas. This was October the seventh, when twelve hundred people were killed in southern Israel by Hamas, was the biggest single day death toll of 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 Jews since the. Uh, since the Holocaust. And Israel, of course, went in and retaliated in Gaza in, in a very big way. We're now 100 days into this war. Um, according to officials in the in Hamas-run Gaza, more than 24,000 people there have been killed. So, And this is something that is, is going to continue for many more months, if not the rest of the year and beyond. <laughs> the Israelis are under increasing diplomatic pressure uh, from Arab states, from European states, and even its main ally, the U.S., to de-escalate in Gaza and to wind down its operations in some way and to stop the sort of mass uh, bombardment of parts of Gaza. But Israeli officials are saying they still have a lot to do. They are intent on destroying Hamas. That's their goal. Um, It's very difficult to... A lot of people say that goal is unobtainable. You can't just kill off uh, this organization, which is so deeply rooted um, into into Gazan society. So we're 100 days in, but we're nowhere near the end by the looks of things. Okay, Paul, our Middle East Economy and Government Editor, thank you very much for joining us. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now to Taiwan next, where the current vice president, Lai Ching-te, was elected as president over the weekend. Lai, from the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, promised to keep peace across the Taiwan Strait with China. But Beijing has previously branded him as an instigator of war. Let's go now live to Taipei uh, and join our Bloomberg television anchor, Yvonne Mann. Good morning, Yvonne. Um, How should we be reading then the results of this vote? I mean, there was sort of jubilation and celebration as lie one, but the uh, lowest percentage of turnout in more than 20 years. Yeah, well, this is a historic win for the DPP, uh, as you say, with Lai Ching winning by a comfortable margin. But as you say, uh, that winning only 40% of the vote, uh, and also the DPP lost its majority in parliament. So while voters did defy China's threats about this election being a choice between peace and war, they also did voice their dissatisfaction, particularly when it comes to some of these domestic issues like rising house prices, so wage growth, and just less job opportunities that have drove young voters away. So without a clear mandate, the DPP is going to have to negotiate 
with other two, two parties to pass budgets and legislation, which could actually slow the DPP's ability to advance its agenda. Yvonne, what does this mean for relations with Beijing, lies victory? Well, as you say, um, you know, this is a man that Beijing despises, right? They've called him a separatist before. Um, what you heard in his victory speech, though, from Lai Jingzhou, was uh, still, you know, cooler heads prevailing. He said he's still looking to uh, have cooperation with China. That was seen as sort of an olive branch that was given uh, to Beijing as well. But certainly China, and this is, none, is not a good news for them, and, and potentially a, a quite a bit missed opportunity for Beijing. But when you hear the statement uh, coming through from Beijing, the Taiwan Affairs Office, uh, they were seen as low-key. I mean, they didn't really mention Lai's name. Uh, they mentioned about this 40% mandate received by Lai could not represent the mainstream public opinion of the, line, of, of the island. But you compare the language that we heard four years ago when President Tsai Ing-wen won that second term for, by a landslide victory. You know, they, Chinese state media was calling her selfish, greedy, evil, even militarily as well. We haven't seen a whole lot of, of interference or military force that's been shown from Beijing as well. You know, perhaps this is just something that we're seeing for now, some compromise. But I, I think it's likely that Beijing is still going to have to wrap up the pressure somehow, um, just given that, you know, they, they've been talking about, you know, um, Taiwan officials here that might not be in the winter time, but maybe once the weather is better, we might see more military or economic force uh, being put yeah. on Taiwan uh, just before the president takes office in May. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.